0: James chapter 3, I'm sure it's going to be awesome. (laughs) Let's read the text here together. Again, we're going to primarily focus on the first verse, but we're going to touch on the second verse. Excuse me. My brother, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. God has chosen to reveal His heart to us, to share His plan of salvation with us, who He is, His commandments for our lives. He's chosen to reveal all of this to us through the Word of God through the Bible. And He's called certain individuals, He's endowed certain individuals with gifts to teach and to preach and proclaim the Word of God. Now. Listen, we're going to see this morning there are some with those gifts, but all of us are called to do the work of a teacher. Some maybe in a formal setting, if we want to use that word, whether in a pulpit or a small group, teaching Sunday school, whatever it would be, but all of us teach one way or another. To do that, to teach others, we got to speak. Our our lives teach as well, but you got to speak to teach. And it's not a matter that we should take lightly. In this section in James chapter 3, James begins here uh, quite a teaching upon the tongue and the dangers of the tongue. And he starts this by addressing the tongue when it comes to teaching the Bible. And he's giving a warning here that those that teach the Bible will receive a more stricter judgment based on how they are opening the Bible up and how they are teaching it with their tongue. And listen, there is a slew of things for us to glean from this morning. We want to get right into it. And again, this is something for all of us this morning. This is uh, equipping for those with those gifts of teaching and preaching, uh, as well as, listen, this is a uh, exhortation for all of us, because again, we teach others, we exhort one another, we're living epistles, but it's also, you know what, this morning we're going to see Uh, the reverence we need to have for the scriptures and how again God doesn't take lightly the teaching of the word and there are so many scriptures that talk about false teachers and handling the word of God correctly and how the time will come when men won't preach the word of God but they will tickle people's ears and listen we are living in that day this message is pertinent for the hour that we are living in So let's dive right into it again. Let's read verse 1 again. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So let's start by asking the question, who's James talking to here? Is he talking about to all teachers here? Is he talking about Christians? Is he talking about Bible teachers? Who's he talking about? Well listen, he says, my brethren. My brethren, he's talking about the body of Jesus Christ. He's talking about those individuals who responded to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. What's the gospel? Well, we know the gospel means good news. To have good news, it means you have to have bad news. Otherwise, you just got news. Think about that. It makes sense. And what's the bad news? The bad news is that we are sinners. God is holy. We are sinners. God in His holiness will not commune with sin. God is not going to bring sin into His eternal kingdom because the wages of sin is death. All we have to do is look at the law of God and we see that we have transgressed it. Not once, but over and over and over and over again. God's standard is perfection. We fall grossly short of His standard. In that, in our sin, we're under His judgment. We're under His condemnation, and He is a just judge. And so He has judged us properly according to His standard of perfection. And if we die in our sin, we are subjected to the second death. We are subjected to eternity in hell. Listen, Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. 13% of his teaching revolved around hell. Not because he gets a kick out of sending people there, but because he wants to see people saved from going there. So that's the bad news. That's really bad news, is it not? There's good news though. The good news is that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, came into this world. He lived a sinless life, though he was tempted in every way. And he went to the cross of Calvary. He went there for you. He went there for me to take the wrath to us because of our sin upon himself, to purchase us, to pay the debt of our sin there upon Calvary. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. And he laid down his life for us. He was buried in the grave. And three days later, he rose from the grave. And when he rose from the grave, he defeated sin and death. And he made that way of salvation through faith in him. When an individual recognizes they're a sinner, And recognizes they serve the God of their belly. They're their own Lord. And that's all of us before we come to Him. And they say, listen, I am ready to repent. I am ready to turn from my sin and my way. And I want to put faith in Jesus Christ to be my Lord. To put faith in Him to be your Lord, it means you have to turn from your way and your sin. Faith and repentance go hand in hand. We talked about this last week. And when we put our faith in Him and we entrust our life to Him and we ask Him to be the Lord of our life, and listen, that's a weighty thing. Salvation, as I say oftentimes, it is the only free gift that will cost you your life. But there's good news because the Lord has said if you hold on to your life, you lose it. If you lay it down for His sake, you gain it. And so when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, He becomes your Lord. Listen, He also becomes your Heavenly Father. We become adopted sons and daughters of the Lord. Is your faith in the Lord this morning? Can you say amen to that? Amen. Well, listen, I got more good news. Your brothers and sisters are all around you. brother. my brother," and he starts with. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord, adopted sons and daughters. And I think about last week where it talks about Abraham and his faith, which was seen through his works. The Bible says that he was also a friend of God. So he's our Lord. He's our father. He is our friend. And this is who James is addressing here. My brother. he's addressing the church. And that's important that we know that. And he's saying to the church, listen, the church has been called to teach. My brother, That not many of you become teachers, but we see that we have been called to teach. We look at Jesus. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And we got to know and understand that Jesus' ministry primarily revolved around teaching the word of God. Matthew 4, 23, and Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, Preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Preaching the gospel. This wasn't a different gospel that was found in Genesis and throughout the Old Testament. He was preaching the gospel of the word of God. The world was looking for a savior. He was that savior and that's what he was preaching. And you find out, you'll see as you read the New Testament throughout the Lord's teaching he continually refers to, again, the Old Testament. Remember when the Pharisees came and they were asking the Lord concerning divorce. The Lord gave a teaching about gender and the Lord gave a teaching about marriage from the word of God, which he upheld. He said, from the beginning, God made them male and female. Boy, that's really clear, isn't it? That's what Jesus taught. You got men, you got women. So if you want to resist that, well, that's a man, you know what, uh, in a woman's body or whatever, you're contradicting the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, from the beginning, God made the male and female. And see, he knows this because he was there in the beginning, and he actually is the one who created us, male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man, the masculine, shall leave his father or mother, be joined to his wife, the feminine, and the two shall become one flesh. Now we have the definition of marriage, one man and one woman and holy matrimony. And we also have the boundaries for sexual relations, the two shall become one flesh. The only place where God endorses and approves of sexual relations is one man one woman, and holy matrimony. But the Lord brought that teaching through the word of God. He hold up, held up the word of God, and everywhere he went, God's word was his authority. Think about Jesus when he fed the 5,000. Just the men, you know, it doesn't even count the women and children. Some say maybe there's 25,000 people there, and we marvel at that, right? Two fish and five loaves fed, fed five to 25,000 people. But let's not forget that he taught them for two days straight before then. I mean. We're going to have probably a 45 minute sermon this morning. That was a 45 hour sermon that the Lord gave them. So maybe we'll we'll stick around to 4 or 5 o'clock. I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll see what happens. But um, again, everywhere he went, he taught the Word of God. He had a teaching ministry. And we've been called to imitate Paul said, Imitate me as I imitate the Lord. Jesus said, Be holy as I am holy. He's our example. And then we know after the resurrection, he appeared to them for many days and he gave them a commission before He ascended into heaven. In Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Then notice verse 20, The Great Commission to us, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So He taught the word, and He says, Now you go and teach the things that I commanded you. The things He commanded us. And this is where some people say, well, I only, I'm a red-letter Christian, I only teach the things that Jesus taught, but wait a minute, is not Jesus God? And is not the Bible the Word of God? Does not John say, listen, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then it says later on, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus' teaching isn't just found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's found from Genesis to Revelation. And if you say, oh, that's not his teaching, then really you're saying he's not God. Think about it. And he says, this is what you need to teach. Again, scripture in its totality. Paul said, I didn't shun to declare to you the full counsel of God. And he was saying Genesis to what they had written at that time, Revelation, a few others hadn't been written yet. he said, this is what I declare to you, God's word. And now throughout the Word of God, we see these warnings of people that are teaching something other than the Word of God. And we are warned to shun them, to test what's being taught according to the Word of God. And when things don't light up with the Word of God, to say, listen, we're we're not going to tolerate that. But these are also warnings to us that we better be teaching the Word of God. Because again, there's a stricter judgment. Isn't it enough to be responsible for yourself? But when you teach, now you're responsible for the souls that you are teaching. Teaching, And the Lord said, it's better to have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into the ocean than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. But listen just to a few verses here. Colossians 2.8, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. And we got a real problem today because there are so many quote unquote Bible teachers that are teaching more the philosophies of men that are teaching the traditions of men and the principles of the world and not the word of God. They're mixing in opinion with scripture, tradition with scripture, fudging the book so that the world says, boy, aren't you guys great? Aren't you so loving? But when we are not teaching the word of God, first and foremost, we are not loving God. And so how are you going to love your neighbor as yourself if you're not first and foremost loving the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength? It's very problematic. And then Titus 1.10, it says, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. And notice what Paul says, their mouths must be stopped. And to shut someone's mouth up from false teaching, someone's got to take a stand and someone's got to say something, otherwise they're just going to keep yappity, 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 over here. But he says they're insubordinate. In other words, there's a rebellion. There's a rebellion in false teachers. There's a rebellion in people that want to open up the Word of God and continually interject their opinion into doctrine. Want to bring in the philosophies of men, doctrines of demons, as Paul talks about in First Timothy 4 one. And we have, been not, we have not been called to teach those things. Listen, I really try to be careful. When I give an opinion about something to say, listen, this is my thought of the matter, this is my opinion, take it or leave it, do what you want, but this is what God's Word says, and it is non-negotiable over here to differentiate between the two. So Jesus taught the Word. We've been called to teach the Word, the commandments. And again, we see this reiterated in the epistles. We see this practiced by the apostles in the book of Acts, 2 Timothy 4.1, I charge you there before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's weighty there. We're called soldiers of Christ in the Bible, and we are being charged with something. I charge you, and again, it's not before a bunch of men, but before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice here, who will judge the living and dead at his appearing in judgment? I notice verse two: Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and teaching. So preach the word, in season and out of season, even when it's not in season even when preaching the bible is not popular i really believe in many circles today preaching the word of god is out of season it's not popular i mean when they take surveys and they ask evangelicals what do you think about homosexual marriage and 50 percent of them say i think that that's fine and good and dandy and it should be in the church god's word then is not in season because we just talked about jesus christ and when he talked concerning marriage and they say, well, we're going to be loving, we're, you know, the Bible's not loving, we're going to be loving in this. That's not loving anybody. That's not loving God. That's not loving those individuals that need to hear the truth to set them free. That's just loving yourself, saying, I want to be approved of by the world around me. I want a, a data boy from the philosophies and from the principles of the world. But he says to preach the word in season and out of season, they notice, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching, and when the Bible's properly taught, There's some rebukes, I mean, just tickling of the ears, there's some rebukes, there's some exhortations. The Word of God, you know what, brings convincing truth. Notice verse 3 though, for the time will come, and boy the time has come, but it says here the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine or sound teaching. Doctrine is just a fancy word for teaching, but according, notice here, to their own desires. The Bible says we're not brute beasts. Bruce, brute beasts just follow their desires. You know, I feel like doing this. I feel that I'm this way, so I'm just going to go and I'm going to do that. But wait a minute. That's not the Word of God. But I'm just, that's what I do. I follow my heart. The Bible says we're not brute beasts. We follow the Word of God. When you get saved, you get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control. But it says, they'll, according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves, notice here, teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to what? To fables. But you be watchful in all things, enduring afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So again, there are many people that teach, that turn from truth. They just tickle people's ears and tell people what they want to hear. And again. For the hearer, that's a warning to test all things. And for the teacher, that's a warning. We have been charged by God to preach the word of God. Even when it's a rebuke and everyone's going to go, boo, his, oh, get him out of here. We don't want to hear that. We've been charged to do that. And again, you see this throughout the scripture. Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The apostles' doctrine was the word of God. We see this again, Paul and Corinth and Ephesus, he set up a couple Bible colleges, Acts 18, 11, and he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And in Acts 20, 27, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourself and to the flock among you, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church third with his own blood. So he said, take heed to yourself. If you're a shepherd, you need to teach the word of God. You need to take heed to yourself because you're responsible for the souls of these people. So when he says, my brother, let not many become teachers, he's talking about Bible teachers. He's not talking about secular teaching, though, listen, even in secular teaching, you're going to give an account for the people you're influencing. Absolutely. But here specifically, he's talking about Bible teachers. Now, notice what he says next. Let not many of you become teachers. And if you just pluck this out and look at it, it looks like there's an option, whether you want to be a teacher or preacher or not. But when you compare Scripture with Scripture, we got to understand when it comes to pastoring, preaching, teaching in a lot of different, you know, applications, it's not our choice. You know whose choice it is? It's the Holy Spirit's choice. Because teaching and preaching, they're gifts of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the gift of teaching or preaching, guess what? You shouldn't be teaching and preaching in a pulpit. You should have some utterance put upon your heart. From the Lord some insights with God you know what when you teach it should penetrate some hearts and some people should get taught notice here so you know I'm not just making this up or it's my opinion Romans twelve six, having then gifts differing according to the grace that has been given to us notice here let us use them the Bible says all of us have gifts bestowed upon us and we want to use them it says there of prophecy let us prophesy in the proportion to our faith, our ministry, let us use it in ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And in other places in the New Testament, we see more of these spiritual gifts. Now again, he who teaches with teaching. Teaching is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you have that gift, you don't want to look at James one, and go, oh boy, you know what, I'm going to incur a stricter judgment, so I'm not going to teach. Listen, there's going to be a stricter judgment if you don't teach. And what the call here is to teach the word of God. And so you have that gift of teaching. You need to be exercising it. You need to be using it. As opportunities avail themselves, you need to take advantage of those opportunities as you're led by the Lord and step out in faith. Now, maybe here this year this morning, you're saying, boy, I don't know what my gift is. I don't know if I'm a, a teacher or a prophesier or a you know ministry, which is helps. Uh, do I have the gift of giving, leading, mercy? What do I have? What's my gift? And if you don't know what your gift is, I really hope that you are saying, what's my gift? I really want to know what my gift is. And this is where we're going gonna, to, gonna, you know, in, in accordance to what we're looking at here, I just want to take a second to talk about how you know what your gift is. How can you find what your gift is? What's your spiritual gift? You know How do I know what it is? I'll give you four ways of finding this out. Number one, I call it desire from delight. Psalm 37.4, delight yourself also in the Lord and He shall give you the desire of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. It doesn't say, you know, take a day or two and you know what? Really uh, start thinking about what would be exciting to do for the Lord, and what would be fun, and what would be adventurous. And whatever that is, listen, go for it. Go do that. The scripture says delight yourself in the Lord. Worship the Lord. Give glory to God. Start being a thankful person. Rejoice in all things. Get in the scriptures. Spend time with the Lord saying, God, I want your will to be done in my life. For your glory, not according to what I want for me, but I want to delight myself in you. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Listen, that includes knowing what your gifts are. And when you do that, then your desire starts to become lined up with his desire, and he will begin to put a burden and an unction in you to what he has called you to do. We see this with Paul. 1 Corinthians 9 16, he says, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. Notice what he says, for necessity is laid upon me, yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Jesus talks about a baptism of the Spirit, living water. And when God, again, endows you with gifts and empowers you with the Spirit, there's a necessity that is laid upon you. And when you try to hold that back, it's like damming up that torrent of living water. And there is a burden placed upon you. This is why Paul says, listen... I can't boast in this because God has put a burden upon me and woe is me if I don't preach it. You take a force of water, you begin to dam it up. There is pressure upon that. And God will put pressure upon his saints. And listen, if there's been pressure on you, you've been resisting it and you're not hearing that, feeling that pressure anymore, that's not a good thing. That means you're hardening your heart to the Holy Spirit of God, but he will put a pressure, he will lay a burden upon you where it's woe is me if I don't talk. If I don't teach, if I don't preach in this application here. And then Jeremiah. This is really interesting. Jeremiah. Listen, Jeremiah was not well received. He was mocked. He was scoffed. Not a lot of converts. And he was having a rough week. And notice here, Jeremiah 27. He says, Oh, Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. It's not very fun. For when I spoke, I cried out, I shouted, violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and daily and derision daily. So God had called them to shout out, judgment's coming, violence, plunder. And as a result of that, everyone booed and hissed them. They mocked them. Notice verse 9. Then I said, I will not make mention of his name nor speak any more in his name. He's like, I don't like this. I'm preaching what you're laying on my heart. And no one's receiving it. So I'm not going to say anything anymore, but notice what he says next. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding back, and I could not. There was an unction placed upon him. There was a burden. There was a fire in him. Is there a fire in you concerning your gifts? If there is not, listen, red alert. We're going to give an account. You need to get on your face before the Lord and ask him, God, what are my giftings? Let me go put them in play because the time is coming really soon when we're going to give an account for what we did with our salvation. And yes, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and that is sealed, signed, and delivered when we trust in him. But absolutely, we do not want to be found a people who wasted our lives here on earth because we will give an account. The Bible talks about this over and over and over again. So if you don't know what your gifts are, I cannot implore you enough, I cannot encourage you enough to get before the Lord and say, God, begin to put an unction, put a burning, lay a necessity upon me when it comes to my gifts. Secondly, listen, a door's going to be open. Proverbs eighteen sixteen: a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before a great man. Listen, if you have the gift of helps, you're not going to have to come in with a big side campaigning. Vote Johnny for janitor. There's going to be opportunity to clean something up. There's going to be opportunity to go and help somebody. You know what? God, God and to His glory, has given me a gift of teaching. He's given me that gift. Listen, as, as a 22 year old, I rededicated my life to the Lord, and I wasn't. But a weekend where I was evangelism, evangelizing, and there it wasn't a couple, maybe a couple months in. Now, listen, I, I I knew a lot of doctrine from earlier on when I was a kid, so. I was a young guy, but I wasn't completely unlearned. I'm still learning. I got a lot to learn. You're like, oh, yeah, amen to that. But he just started opening doors up. Opportunity to teach here, an opportunity to teach there, to share the gospel there. It was just like the Lord's opening these doors. And when you feel like you continue to have to campaign, it may be because you're going after what you desire versus what the Lord has for you. Thirdly, listen, there's going to be a talent bestowed upon you by the Holy Spirit, there's going to be some supernatural endowment. You know what? It, it's a gift. It's an ability that God will give to you. Now, all those gifts need to be developed, but you're going to be able to do it and go, Wow, did that just happen? And you go, Did I do that? No, the Lord did that through you. So slow your roll on that pride trip. But listen to Matthew 25, 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered to them his goods. We're his servants. The goods he's delivered to us are gifts, and to one he gave notice, five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. A talent. A talent is something that you're talented at, right? So he gives us a talent. And then lastly, listen, there's going to be fruit. How do I know I'm talented? Well, listen, if you have the gift of teaching, people are going to get taught. Matthew 7, 20, therefore by their fruits you will know them. And I've seen people, I got the gift of teaching. Yeah, but the problem is, is when you teach, no one learns anything. People leave more confused than having clarity after the fact. We gotta look at that. Well, I have the gift of helps. Yeah, but when you go to help, there's a bigger mess made than before you got there. So you might have a different gift. And that's okay. But find out what that gift is and use it unto the Lord. So those are four ways. And I hope and pray we put that into play. Especially if you hear, I don't know my gift. Listen, again, this is weighty. He talks about a stricter judgment for those that teach. But he doesn't say, and no judgment for those who don't teach. We're going to be judged. We're going to give an account. Now, note as well, listen, in a way, we are all teachers, whether we like it or not. If you're saying, well, yeah, this is a good one for Pastor Steve here. I'm just going to sit this sermon out. Listen, we're all called to teach in a way. Again, that great commission to all of us, teach them the things that I commanded them. And then think about this, Hebrews 3.13, it says, exhort one another daily. Exhortation is teaching. It's not, well, I'm going to give you my opinion. It is exhorting one another with the word of God. And then the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2.3, that we're living epistles known and read by all men. Our lives are teaching. You know what? The the most influence we have in our teaching is to our children. They're watching you. You're teaching them, and what you do is... And how you live your life, and there is a strict judgment in that, boy, how many children, how many people are we are, are, are going to spend eternity in hell because their professing parents were complete hypocrites, and by the time that kid hit eighteen, he's like, "This is a complete joke. I see no uh sincerity in you I, I, I see no uh you know what uh, realness in this. you say you believe it, but you don't show it in the way that you live. So yeah, you can talk to me about doctrine, but I've seen it lived out, so now I'm going to go after the ways of the world. I guess there will be many. And we're going to give an account where you're going to have a stricter judgment to our spouses and co-workers and all those around us. Again, sadly, though, there are many who become Bible teachers not out of their own or the call of the Lord, but their own desire. Um, you know what, I think especially today on pulpits... There's a lot of people, I want to be a teacher, so I go to Bible college where most of them, they ruin you because they teach you how not to offend anybody and to grow your church through seeker-sensitive methods versus saying, listen, you better fear God and you better bring it, whether there's one person there or a thousand. You better bring the truth. But that's where we are today. You don't see it so much with kids and youth. Sometimes people will come to me and they're like, I'm a Bible teacher. Like, well, we could use help in the children's ministry. Well, I don't teach children. And listen, I can't judge anyone's hearts, but I do think, hmm, because, see, you teach adults, and, and generally, people are pretty kind and courteous and will go, wow, I was really ministered to you. I really learned something. You know, if you have a gift of the Holy Spirit, people are going to get taught, and people appreciate that, and to God be the glory, amen? amen. You don't get that with kids, though. <laughs> listen, I was a youth pastor for a number of years and, and ministered to youth, and it's like, you know, you labor over a message and you bring it, you're teaching them for 35 minutes and at the end of it you're like, okay, life's have been changed and meanwhile they've been doing this and picking their nose the whole time and nodding off like a couple of you guys this morning, yeah, I see you're nodding off there, but I forgive you, I forgive you. Listen, Paul preached and someone fell asleep and fell out the window, so good preaching put some people to sleep. But th- at the end of the Bible, study, so they're like, where's the pizza, you know? And again, if you have the gift of teaching, are you willing to teach one, two, three, couple kids in a back room, you know, be faithful in the little things, it will open up other doors. We don't teach to draw disciples after ourselves. Paul talks about this in Acts 20. And again, knowing will receive a stricter judgment. Listen, we're all going to be judged. I know people, you know, this is a non-judgmental zone. We're not going to judge. Well, the Bible says we do need to test all things. We need to test doctrine. We need to test fruit, starting with our own. Absolutely. But listen, God is a God of judgment. He absolutely is. And if your God's not a God of judgment, then you do not serve the God of the Bible. You serve a demon who is lying and deceiving you. The Bible talks about the, white, the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20. Those that reject Christ on earth, whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. After the millennial rule of Christ, they are resurrected from the dead. And they will be given a body which will be under eternal torment, torment forever. And not only judge based on the fact they rejected Christ, but it says that books are open and they're judged according to their works. And make no mistake, in hell, there's going to be different levels of torment. And individuals that led people astray, posing as Bible teachers that taught false doctrines and used the scripture to fleece the flock, there ain't going to be any greater judgment than, than was placed upon those individuals. This is why the Lord, listen, this is why he tore into the Pharisees, their self-righteousness, the false gospel that they taught. Because, again, it's enough to be accountable for ourselves, but leading thousands, it says many will follow these people, leading many people astray. You talk about the judgment of God. It's one thing to be a liar, to be a shyster in your own name, but to be a liar and a shyster in the name of the living God, listen, that should make everyone's knees buckle. And if it doesn't make individuals' knees buckle in pulpits, they're not familiar with the scriptures. Again, we're going to give an account as well. We've been talking about this, so I'm not going to read it again. But 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, it talks about the beam seat judgment, where, again, believers are saved, but their works are judged. And it says, the woody and stubble will be burned, the gold, silver, and precious stones will endure the fire. Those are those things we did unto the Lord, our gifts and talents and so forth. And The Bible says on that day, listen, there's going to be some weeping, there's going to be some rejoicing. And that day is going to come. And you want on that day to have exercised and use your gifts. If you're a Bible teacher, you want to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I approve of what you said, even when the world was out to get you. You stood for the truth. You got thick skin, and you went for it. And you said, listen, I'm going to soldier on, even if I am called a bigot, or I am called, you know, whatever I'm called. And listen, you can be in the pulpit for 20 years. You can be called a lot of stuff. A lot of things rolled your way but you want that crown and listen it's not a matter of wanting that crown so you're like dude check out my crown when you're like rolling around glory and like you know my crown's bigger than your crown because that's how we think here and it's not going to matter. I got this big old ground so I'm going to again go strut through glory with it there's not going to be envy there's not going to be jealousy or that type of thing that would be horrible right to spend eternity go, man I got to have live dicks to this guy's mansion is a little bigger he's got that bigger crown I got to live here forever it's not that Listen, you know what you're going to do with that crown? You're going to lay it at the feet of the Lord. And you want a crown to be able to lay at the feet of the Lord to worship the Lord with forever. And what a horrible thing to show up there and you're like, I got no crown. Because I wasted my life burying my gifts. I refused to delight myself in the Lord. I got short-sighted. I went after the things that are seen, which are temporary. So these are weighty things. And again, Bible teachers will be judged more strictly why? Again, to teach you got to talk, and our talk rarely is 100% pure, even in the pulpit, even in this pulpit. And you're like, oh, what? It's true. How God can use broken vessels like this is an amazing thing. You know, you take heart when you read Numbers, and you say, okay, God used a jackass, so I guess he can use me too. But notice James 3, two. we all stumble in many things. We're going to come back to that next week. That's a weighty statement. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his own body. Well, we stumble in many things. This is a factual statement. So if we stumble in many things, there can be times we stumble stumble with our mouth. Proverbs 10, 19, in a multitude of words, sin is not lacking. Unless there's been many times in this pulpit where I've said something, as soon as I said it, I'm like, I want to reel that back in. Give me that back. Let's edit the tape. Do something here. And there's times when, listen, Again, I'm never going to apologize for the word of God. If you're offended by the word of God, you need to be. But sometimes in bringing the word of God, again, our flesh gets in the way. I offend myself at times by my tongue. I say, Lord, forgive me. Listen, occasionally someone will come to me and say, you offended me the way you said that. And sometimes, you know what? Things weren't said right, and I have to say, I'm sorry. That's not what I meant. You know. It, and then there's other times, listen, especially in this soft, politically correct society we live in today, where so many people base their self-righteousness on how offended they are, then you got to say, well, listen, that, that's the truth, so you've got to deal with it. Amen. And listen, I'm going to tell you, if someone is a true teacher, a true preacher of the Word of God, there's going to be times when God's going to lay a necessity upon them to teach certain things and say certain things that are going to come off as grossly offensive. Listen, Rick Warren is a liar when he says to pastors, whatever you're going to teach, take that and think it through and try to find the least, least offensive way that you could possibly say what you're going to say. That is a lie. That's not from the Lord. Listen, the cross of Calvary is an offense to those that are perishing. And I can tell you this, there are times when God will lay things on your heart and you write it down word for word and he puts a necessity on you. You need to say it like this. And you're like, Lord, like that? This is the most offensive way this could be said. But will you be obedient? Well, there's been many a time when that's been the case, and I'm driving home thinking, well, no one's going to be back next week. You're going be rolling up here into tumbleweeds. And beautifully, listen, God encourages when we get those gifts. He says, listen, if they're all gone, that's okay. Just be obedient. We're teaching the word of God, and there's nothing more sacred. It's not to be taken lightly. It's the word of God. I want to hit just kind of eight areas on the word of God. I'll try to, try to not drag it out, but these are things we need to take to heart. Psalm 12, 6, the words of the Lord are pure. This is like the first point. I'll tell you when I go to the next one. I'll look at three verses here. The words of the Lord are pure. It says, it goes on to say, you preserve them for every generation. God's word is Pure. If I pervert it, if I pollute it, I'm going to give an account. Does that make sense? If we bring in the philosophies of man, the opinion of man, like Laodicea. Listen, he spoo's out Laodicea because they bring in the opinions of man, to the pure word of God. The coldness of man with, the, with the, the heat of the word, it becomes lukewarm. Man's opinion with God's word, he says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. That's a strict judgment. God's word cannot be taken lightly. This is just not some book. It is... The inspired word of God as the Holy Spirit moved upon men. Psalm 138.2, you have magnified your word above all your name. Think about it. What would you think if you came into a church and the pastor, every third word, it was taking God's name in vain? G.D., J.C., you know, just taking God's name in vain. A guy named Gene Scott used to do that all the time. But could you imagine, you would be offended, you'd be like, man, what? I'm out of here, at least I hope you would. Listen to this, God honors his word above his name. Think about that. So when God's word is being twisted, added to, man's opinion brought in, watered down, that's a greater offense than if some guy just sat up here and dropped GDs the whole time. And yet that happens all over the place, especially in the day we're living in, not my opinion, that's God's Word's opinion. And when someone says, listen, that's not biblical, that doesn't sound right. So oftentimes people don't go, man, you're right. Yeah, I, I don't know his heart, but listen, what he's saying is not biblical. Yeah, you're right, this guy needs to held, be held accountable. You know what happens most times? How dare you judge him? And there's a bigger problem with the person being a and trying to you know, be a watchman on the wall we're offended by you, but we have no problem with this guy leading people to hell with his false teaching. Letting Jezebel running around teaching people sexual immorality and so forth. Approving of such matters. He honors his word above his name. That's a way to think of it like that. And then it says in 1 Peter 1.24, the word of the Lord in Jezebel. Listen, it was here before me. It will be here after me. I better handle it well in my 70 years or whatever it is here on the earth. In my turn here, because I'll give an account, so will you. Also, secondly, we can't add or take away from it. The first is pure, holy, precise. He honors his name above, uh, honors his word above his own name, and endures forever. Secondly, it's not to be added or to take away from. Him, from. Deuteronomy 12 32. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe, you shall not add to it nor take away from it. Proverbs 35 talks about judgments in this. Listen, the United Church of Christ, there's one in our town over by a police station, they got a big banner. God's still speaking. Yeah, God, you know what? The Holy Spirit lays unction, necessity on our heart and so forth. It always lines up with the scripture. The problem was is they're saying God's still speaking. And guess what? He's contradicting his word. And yes, I'll bring it up again because it's so pivotal in so many places. God's still speaking. Announcement. Fellows can get married to each other now. Wait a minute. Time out. That's not what Jesus taught. Ain't God saying that. That's demons saying that. And that ain't loving these individuals. Listen, I was a gross fornicator before I came to the Lord. I didn't hear her say, hey, God just spoke. You can fornicate. Go for it, boy. And let me tell you, you know if you're in a sexually perverse lifestyle, you know it's destroying you. And so you need some clergy to come along and affirm you in that rebellion? That ain't good news. Listen, most people in those lifestyles that take their own life, it's not because they're being picked on. It's because they're being told, hey, there's no hope for you. You're going to be a lifelong sodomite. That's the truth. That's the absolute truth, but again, these doctrines and demons come in, it's weighty stuff here. Thirdly, listen, it's the power of God into salvation, and in it we, we find all things pertaining to life and godliness. And so if we're not rightly handling it, so as people aren't being saved and sanctified, and to give an account sitting in the pulpit for 30 years where no one gets saved, no one gets sanctified, and give an account for that? Oh, my goodness. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, the instruction in righteousness. Notice here, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has given us a word to complete us, to get people saved. And now if we shun that, if we don't handle that correctly, yeah, we're going to give an account a stricter judgment. Thirdly, listen, it's been committed to our trust. We've got to study to show we're prude. We have to rightly divide it. 1 Timothy 1.11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Think of a woman going out on a mission trip, and she has a beautiful diamond wedding ring that's been passed down for three or four generations. It's like, I don't want to take this out, you know what, on the mission field. We're going to be going out digging wells or whatever, sharing the gospel. I don't want to lose this. But I want to ask you to hold it for me for a month while I'm away. I'm going to commit it to your trust. I hope you would not take that and start flipping it as you roll down the street or like, hey, I'm going to let my three-year-old wear it tomorrow. Hopefully, you would take that thing and put it on a pillow and put a glass case around it or put it somewhere safe and it would be an honor, wouldn't it? Well, everyone they could have chosen, they committed to my trust. God's word has been committed to our trust and listen, all this stuff's going to burn. How are we handling the Word of God? We're in a culture today that, again, it's very aggressively coming against the Word of God. And I've seen many Christians that have a fire in their heart for the Lord that eventually get whittled down and they turn and they start having a grudge against the Word of truth. Watch yourself in it. The enemies lie in it. Another verse on this, 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved or study to show yourself approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That means you make sure what you're teaching is, again, according to the word of God. You're not contradicting the word of God. You're not taking things out of context. Verse 16, but shun profane and idle babble. so you teach the word of God. You study. You rightly divide it. You make sure what you're teaching is biblical. And then the stuff that's not, you shun it. And as a pastor, you shun it. You don't let it come through the back door. You don't say, well, we don't talk about that, but listen, we're fine if all our elders believe in the word of faith movement. No, time out. I I went to a church like that for a while. The pastor said, I don't teach that, but listen, every leader in the church did, and they taught it in their Sunday school class, and the bookstore was full of Kenneth Copeland and whatnot. That's a problem. That stuff needs to be shunned. It needs to be shown the door. When men are making millions and millions of dollars every year... Off of fleecing the flock, telling people, listen, you can be rich if you give me your money. Well, if you do that, give me all your money. We'll see how that works. Oh, brother, don't work that way. I'm God's anointed. No, you're a con man is what you are. And yes, those were one of those sentences that I meant to say it like that. These guys need to be held accountable. Fifthly, and I, I'm sorry, my, you know, you're like, what's number three again? But listen, <laughs> we must never be ashamed. Or shriek back when teaching it. Let me tell you a truth. If you're going to teach or preach God's word, people are going to scowl at you. They're going to walk out. They're going to hurl insults. They're going to spread lies. They're going to attack you. They're going to shame you. Sometimes it's people that you've loved on for years. Paul said, the more I love, the less I'm loved. I've seen people for years, you've ministered to them, you've sowed to them. There are even places of leadership. They know about truth, but then when it comes and it hits their own home, their own family, they start fudging the books. I mean, you say like time out. Listen, this is not acceptable. This relationship here, th- this is not acceptable. Well, it's acceptable for us. What are you going to do? Well, you know, I don't want to rock the boat. Listen, I don't want to air dirty laundry. I don't want to f- defend myself, so we'll just turn a blind eye to this. No, you better be unashamed of the word. You got to stand up for truth. Mark 8, 38, who was ever ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the son of man, will be ashamed when he comes in glory of his father with the holy angels. And sometimes it goes down like that. And You're like, oh, can't we all just be unified? Yeah, if we're going to stand in truth. But if you want to go support some adulterous relationship, you can be shown the door. For your own sake. You've got to repent of that. Because you start bringing that leaven in. It's going to spread everywhere. It really is. You have a thick skin and a soft heart. Again, we've got to practice, again, what we teach and preach. Early on, we read, James said, do not be hearers only, deceiving yourself, but be doers of the word. How much more if you're a teacher? You better be a doer. Then seven, we've got to know we're going to give an account for the souls that we teach. Again, Hebrews 13, seven, obey those who rule over you and be Submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, that it would be unprofitable for you. There's times if you're going to teach God's word, really caring about people, really loving them, not caring about what the world says, your heart's going to be grieved. It's a grieving thing when, listen, You're teaching the Word of God, you're talking about certain matters, and then people turn around and they go out and they promote the thing that you just exposed biblically on their Facebook, telling everyone, hey, come check this out. And listen, at that point, that ain't on me. That's on that person. (laughs) That's on them. Paul told, or or the Lord told Ezekiel in chapter 3, you're a watchman. And if I give you a warning, you better give it. And if you give it and they don't heed That blood's on them, but if I give you a warning and you don't sound that trumpet, that's on you. And I know God has laid a necessity upon me to deal with false teachers and false teaching, and if I don't give those, that blood's on my hands. And this is why Paul said, again, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So lastly, woe to those who take the word lightly, abuse it, twist it, use it for selfish gain. There are so many scriptures on this. It was just like, which one do I choose to share? There are so many. Like, throw a dart. Like, hey, that's a good one right there. But Here's a couple. couple sections here. We'll close on these. And then we'll take communion. Second Peter 2.1. But there are also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. Notice here. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. False teachers are masters at secretly bringing in destructive heresies the best deception is always those that look closest to the truth. And this is why shepherds got to warn their sheep, because a teacher of the word of God should have some more biblical insight than the average person. Again, not exalting the person, but God, the Holy Spirit's given that gift, and so they better say something. For, See, you know, I'm, I'm just going to turn a blind eye to that because, boy, you know what, I don't want anyone offended. And sometimes God's word is an offense. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Notice verse two, and many will follow their destructive ways. It goes on to talk about covetousness and deceptive words. There is a lot of this today. Many will follow. And then Revelation 2.20. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Notice what he says here. He's talking to one of the churches. It's a letter for the church. Because you allow that woman Jezebel Who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality. To eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. This is New Testament. I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts And I will give to each one of you according to your workings. Notice here, you allow Jezebel to come in and teach sexual immorality and seduce the people. This is happening at a rapid rate in the church today. It absolutely is. Listen, there's a reason why we don't sing Hillsong songs. Number one, their word of faith. Brian Houston says if you're impoverished, you're outside of God's will. I didn't read that in James, you know, a few weeks ago when we talked about that. He didn't say when the poor man comes in, say, brother, you're out of God's will. Come sit at my feet. He said there's no partiality. The church of Smyrna was poor, yet they were rich. Jesus was poor on earth. So was Jesus out of the will of the Father? No. Again, this is from You Need More Money. He published it in 1999. But greater than that, listen, this is a church that is endorsing and accepting homosexual lifestyle. 2015, the worship leader at Hillsong New York, the head worship leader, a homosexual, was in the process of getting married to his buddy, and it came out, and then they backtracked real quick. We didn't know about this. You don't know that your worship leader is practicing that lifestyle. And he said, I have no convictions in this. I can do this and worship God so they said, well, you can't lead worship anymore, but they say, you know what, you're welcome to attend, worship, and participate as a congregational member. I'm not saying this again. Listen, these, these, these individuals, they don't care about homosexuals. They care about being accepted by the world. Because if they did, they would pull them aside and say, we love you guys. This is not God's plan for you. So I'm not up here, Listen, I'm a complete hypocrite if I stand up here and pick on homosexuals. Again, I was, I was a perverse individual and fornicator before I came to the Lord. But to say, you can come in and practice this and be in the choir? That is allowing Jezebel to run amok. And did you see that judgment? And this is why, again, I warn about that group. It, it, it is, there's, there's evil there, man. Am I saying they're all lost? No. Are some of them saved? Probably. I'm not going to judge their hearts. But this stuff's flat-out wicked. And I'm gonna warn this fellowship, and then what you do with that is on you. I ain't Jeroboam, we ain't gonna go around and say you gotta do this or that. Again, I got enough to take care of myself. But it's gonna be thrown out there, and then what are you gonna do? Because these are the type of areas I I see so much rebellion in today. Well, I don't receive that. I like that tune. Well, you can, but listen, you go throw that up and promoting it, Now you are going to give an account because you're teaching something. And this is why a heavy matter. This is why it says be careful in what you teach. Not just me, but what are you teaching? You're like, my convictions are different. Well, how do you justify that before the word of God? Are they different than the scriptures? How would you feel if on this stage, oh, I go to refuge, yeah. They got two homosexuals that are practicing it. They're going to get married on the worship team. Would you come into that? I hope you wouldn't. I hope you'd come up and rebuke me to my face and say, what are you doing? You're not loving these people and you're not representing the Lord Jesus Christ. So how much more one of the most influential groups in the world? But I, well, I, don't, go, I don't go to that church, but I'm going to promote their stuff. You see, see, the, see how this stuff sneaks in secretly? And then what are you going to do with it? Oh, that's not loving. No, it is loving. <laughs> What's not loving would be to say nothing these are weighty things they really are but again we're talking about the word of God we're talking about the souls of men God honors his word above his own name so are we going to honor people above the word the word that's meant to save them Again, that's not loving anybody and it's not loving him let's stand up we're going to partake of communion let's ask the Lord to ready our hearts for that let's finish well this morning As we pass out the Lord's Supper, we're to partake in remembrance of Him. And as we hold this bread in our hands, we're to remember the Lord's body was broken for us. That bread represents, or it's a reminder that His body was broken for us. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Listen, we deserve hell, but Jesus took the wrath through us upon Himself. Isn't that a glorious truth? This cup represents the new covenant, His blood shed for us. We're washed of our sin. Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Life is in the blood we are seeing once we become believers through the life of the Lord. He wants us to remember that. To rejoice in that. And he says in partaking of communion we proclaim his death until he comes. And listen, you don't come back again if you're still dead. He's resurrected. And in this we're saying Maranatha. Listen, we want to rejoice in the Lord every day. And thank God for what he's given to us. But we say Maranatha, come soon Lord Jesus so let's partake with that heart. And if there's sayings that you have here this morning, maybe, listen, maybe you're rebuked by the scriptures. Bring that before the Lord. He doesn't cut you so that you leave bleeding. He cuts you so you can say, Lord, okay, now heal me. You got that out. I want to yield to you. Come bandage it up. I want now to abound, abound in you. And if you don't know Him, listen, today's the day of salvation. This is for believers But if you don't know him, I cannot plead with you enough that you need to come to Christ. That you need to call on him this morning. You need to repent from your own lordship and the philosophies of men and sin and say, Jesus, wash me and cleanse me. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And he'll meet you where you are. This room is full of sinners that have been saved. Can we say amen to that? He came in here, the walls didn't fall down. Lord knew you're going to do what you did before you did it, and he still went to the cross for you. Like, but I did worse things than you talked about today. Yeah, you know what? Welcome to the crowd. But God is good. He loves you. And his words, is love letter, that's why we want to rightly divide it. You guys can be seated again. I know you just got up, but once you partake of communion, you're welcome to stand up. It's just a little easier for the ushers. They're going to pass out the communion. We're going to close with the last few songs, and then you can partake as you're led. So, Lord, bless us to our bodies, be honored here. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. Thank you, Lord.
1: Thank you, yeah. The
0: altar is going to be open if you'd like to come up and pray or pray with someone. God bless you. Have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ.